welcome. You are listening to Grace Capital Church Podcast. Good morning. I'm tired. I get to confess this. I, <laughs> I'm still tired. Um, I've got a little boy at home who's been throwing up and threw up all night. And uh, a, a sick baby who's been sick for like three days with high fever and up all night. So I haven't slept in a couple of days. Uh, so I just got to pray. Um, as I said in the first service, I'm pretty broken and tired right now. Uh, physically and emotionally, it's been an exhausting week uh, in many ways. And uh, I need you. you like that song? I need you. I feel like that's, I think I have nothing. So I'm just going to just pray. God, I come to you. God, we come to you as, as your children, as your, as your little kids. And many of us are feeling so broken and beat up by life, by loss, by changes, by illness. God, and the truth is that we're just fragile. We're frail. And no matter how hard we try or pretend that we can do this, on our own, the truth is we can't. God, we need you to not only fill the gaps, but to be our all, to be our everything. God, so I pray that, that you would take this tired man, God, that you would, that you would take and, and use me, that you would speak through me, God, that you would speak to us, God, that you would illuminate your word, God, that, that you would take the truth of your word and, and anchor it. That, that it would become foundational to who we are. God, that, that we would not be just hearers of the word, but we would be doers. God, that we wouldn't hear another sermon or listen to another Bible verse and, and nod our heads and, 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 and walk away the same people. God, because you are about changing lives. God, you are about us living out this cause, the cause of Christ. And we are not worthy, but yet you still call us. So I, I just pray that you would consecrate us. God, that you would set us apart. God, that you would captivate and take hold of our minds and our will and help us to focus on the things that you have for us this day. God, and, and when we hear you, and when each one of us hears that specific word that you have for each one of us, that we'd cling to it, that we'd grab hold of it, God, and that we wouldn't let go until it becomes part of who we are. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. I'm not sure how that happened, but okay. Several weeks ago, I preached a message on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Remember? Okay. And I spoke on how God gives us extraordinary power for Christ-exalting ministry. And that Christ-exalting ministry, that's really what the cause is. And God empowers us through his Holy Spirit so that we can go out and accomplish it. At the beginning of my sermon, I shared a little bit about the 21 Coptic Christians who were beheaded. And 
after the sermon, um, there was a gentleman there that came up to me and he told me that he was friends with several of those guys. He was doing missions work in Egypt and he became close friends with, I think he said three of them. And uh, that changed things. That really shifted in my mind. So I, I shared with all good intention, but it was still there was this disconnect. You know, we're here, they're there. You know, they're, it wasn't real. And, and his name's Kimo, and he's a, he's a worship leader in the area, and he just happened to be here that day when I preached that sermon. So after the fact, I, I, I went online and uh, I found an article, which is a fascinating article. And in this article, um, the wives of the men were interviewed. And I want to read a little bit from this, just to, to, to boil it down and bring it home and make what happened to those men uh, more of a reality. On January 3rd, at around 2.30, in the coastal Libyan city of Sirte, mass gunmen began knocking on doors, according to survivors. They were looking for Christians marked with traditional tattoos on their hands that identified them as Coptic Christians, an ancient Christian sect in Egypt. Some men were pulled from their beds at gunpoint. Others hid and prayed only later to see their captured friends and family members decapitated in a widely circulated and highly produced Islamic State video. But in this tight-knit village, these men will not be remembered for their brutal murders. They were remembered as beloved husbands, sons. Here are the lives they lived, as told by family members. So I'm going to read just one of the narratives. This gentleman's name is Hanai Abdel Messiah, and he's 32. I'm 36, put things in perspective. And I loved his four children, three girls and a boy, the youngest more than anything in the world, his family says. He was gentle and kind, always making a joke whenever he could. His wife, Magna, as he, 29, will forever be remembered forever remember his laugh. I felt like he was an angel, Magna said, of her deeply devoted husband. There was a prayer in anything he said, and I desperately wanted to come home after eight months laboring in Libya. He was sick and tired of the relentless violence and the constant threat of kidnapping, but leaving was a difficult choice. There was money in Libya. Unlike in Al-Ahar, money that he needed to support Magna and his children. But he finally decided to come home to his family. He said he was killed, or she said he was killed before he ever got the chance to leave. He took care of all this, Magna explains weakly. The woman around her nod in unison, passing around a faded photograph of the smiling father with his little boy. He was so kind, Magna says. He gave us hugs and kisses. Magna will never forget the last conversation she had with her husband. 
He called on New Year's Eve, wanting to speak with each of his children. The couple exchanged tender words. He asked if she wanted or needed anything. He would try to get it to her, whatever it was. She remembers saying, I want you safe. And he asked her to pray for him. She, she never heard from Hanai again. When she saw the video of his beheading on Egyptian television, her family cried so hard that she says her neighbors called an ambulance. She doesn't talk much about how she feels now, apart from the fact that she is still in shock. I miss him, she says with a whisper. Her daughters sit around her, cling to their mother. The oldest girl begins to weep as the younger two stare off, unable to comprehend the grief around them. Your dad is in the sky, a relative says, hoping to console the little girls. He is in the heavens. Hmm. Well, it seems like that's a, on the other side of the world. But I'm, I believe that we're going to face a lot of that same persecution here pretty soon. And um, last week we began looking at John 17, which is a high priestly prayer that Jesus gives on behalf of his disciples. And in the prayer, he's dialoguing with God and proclaiming to God that he has lived out his mission. He has lived out the cause of making the Father known. And in the prayer, he lays out how he prepared his disciples for what they would be facing as they continued his cause. Would you turn with me to John 17? So while you were turning there, before Jesus prayed this in John 16, he warned his disciples about what they would be facing after he was crucified. He said this, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Well, that, that's extremely prophetic because you look at the, these 21 Coptic Christians who were beheaded. They were beheaded by individuals who thought that they were being obedient to their God, to Allah, which we know is, is not God. And so Jesus was setting the stage and preparing his disciples for the mission that he was calling them to, to undertake. And he knew that they would suffer as he had suffered. They knew that, that they would be persecuted, that they would be insulted, and then ultimately most of them would, would, would face death, would be martyred for their faith. And in this prayer, as Jesus is interceding and, and talking with the Father, he's really pleading to his Father that, that his Father would keep them, that his Father would hold them, and he shares with the Father how he, shared, how he gave them the truth, how he defined who they were and who he is and who God is. So here's how we're going to approach this text. I want to read through the whole thing first. I'm going to read through the whole prayer. 
And then we're going to look at how Jesus has prepared us to live a life committed to the cause. As an aside, the copy machine didn't work today, so I'm trying to figure out how to use this thing with notes. And it's, uh, it's actually a big pain in the butt. <laughs> John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I have come from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. Hear that? I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for, the, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. For their sake, I consecrate myself, that they may be also sanctified in truth. In order for us to live out this cause, in order for us to continue the cause of Christ, of going out and bringing glory to the Father, in order for us to endure the persecutions and the rejection that we'll face, we have to allow Jesus to define our reality or what reality is. We have to allow Jesus to define truth. As I was studying this passage, I saw that there were four main truths that we learned from Jesus that will fortify us 
and will strengthen us and will allow us to live a life that's committed to the cause. The first truth is this. Through Jesus, we know that there is more than this life. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. When those Coptic Christians were kneeling down on the beach, and they, they, they knew that that was the end of their life. They knew that they were going to be killed. Not one of them denounced Christ. Not one. They all remained firm in their faith to the end. And they were able to remain firm because they knew in truth that there is more than this life. They knew that they had an eternity set before them where they were going to go be with the Father. And I think that many of us struggle with committing to the cause because we believe that we're going to miss out on something. We believe that if we devote ourselves to something other than cultivating our own life and and meeting our own needs, we're going to miss out. I recently saw a t-shirt that read this. Do what you want. You only have one life to live. Do what you want. You only have one life to live. I believe that that really truly is the anthem of our culture. YOLO. YOLO. You know what that means? You only live once. Now that's true in a sense that for it's pointed to man to live once and then to die. But there's more than just this life. And how we live in this life affects eternity. Who we live for in this life determines who we will live with in eternity, who we will spend our eternity with. And if we devote ourselves, devote our lives to just ourselves, and we make ourselves God, and and believe that we're the ones who has to go out and make it happen and meet all of our own needs and and cultivate and grow our own life and just provide for our family and bury our heads and go to work every day and, and never think about ever living for something other than that. That isolation, that separation from God is truly gonna be our reality for eternity. And that's a lonely existence. That's an awful existence. But God has called us to so much more than that. For this is eternal life that we might know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. This isn't it. This brief little window of existence, there's so much more. God has put eternity in our hearts. He's made us as as eternal beings that we we can spend eternity with the Father in heaven. And it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be glorious. And he's made us for that. But we settle for so much less because we, we, we're afraid. We're afraid that we're going to miss out on something. The second truth that I see in this passage is that through Jesus, 
we know who God is. In verse 6, Jesus proclaimed, I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. The word manifest means to take something that is invisible and make it visible. Because of Jesus, God isn't just a philosophy. He's a reality. Because of Jesus, we know who God is. We don't have to guess. We don't have to sit in a room and and meditate and try to dream up what God might be like. We know who God is. We know who he is. And he is loving. And he is glorious. And he is all-powerful. He is victorious. Chapter 16, verse 33, he said this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Our God is an overcomer. And we know that through Christ. So anything that we face in this world, we know that we have victory because our God is victorious. So we know who God is through Christ. And, and, we can, and we can bank on that. We can build our life upon that. I used to teach at a Christian school called the Master School in Simsbury, Connecticut. And I had uh, a student named Cain. And Cain came to our school as an atheist. And he is from a, a basically an atheist family. And they wanted him to have a good education, so they enrolled him in this Christian school. And uh, he was a freshman in my biology class, and he was one of these feisty little guys, about three apples tall, with a Justin Bieber haircut. (laughs) You know the type, don't you? Where they kind of do this thing all the time? Anyway, so, um, so, so he came in my class, and immediately I loved this kid, because I could relate, and I was in that place at one point, and I've shared my testimony before that in college I was an atheist. And uh, I, I, I just, I could connect with this little guy. And uh, he had all these questions. And, and he, he could never be satisfied until he had his questions answered. Uh, and he, he was very, uh, very sarcastic little guy. And he, he always liked to push the envelope. Um, towards the end of the year, our entire school went on a retreat. We went to this camp called New England Keswick, which, by the way, I used to, I was the camp director there for a while, so I knew this camp quite well. And so we went, and we had a, a weekend retreat. And the first night we were there, uh, we had a, a night of worship. And the Holy Spirit fell in that room, and it was the most amazing experience of God that I have ever experienced. And I believe that all these other, the students and the faculty, there, there was weeping, there was, you know, Uh, prophecy, we were praying for each other, kids were committing their life to Christ. And I remember Cain, at this worship night, he went up to the altar, and he was just weeping. And it was, I had never seen him uh, humble, I'd never seen him broken like this, and he was weeping, and he was just, just sobbing, saying, it's true, it's, I can't believe it's true. He's really God. I, I can't believe. And he was just, he was weeping. And that night, he committed his life to following Jesus. And he still had a lot of questions. And he was still struggling with truth. And in working with him for the next couple of years, 
um, I realized pretty quickly that he wasn't looking to this for truth, to define. Now, in his heart and in his spirit, God had revealed himself, but he wasn't renewing his mind through God's word. He was going on websites, and, and he was trying to uh, you know, look, look for answers, mostly from Googling. Okay, Yeah, and a lot of kids do this. And I think a lot of us, some of you guys probably do that too, where you're maybe a little skeptical. So then you try to you go online and you Google things and you look for reasons to disprove. And he was doing that. Now, now he's a student at the University of Rhode Island, the school that I went to, and he started out as a philosophy major. And he began to listen to the voices of the world. And he, he began to allow the world to define who God is. And, and now he's back to where he used to be. Uh, and he's really, really struggling to believe that God exists. And uh, he allowed the world to define who God is rather than Jesus. And as a result, he's so broken and he's so jaded. Now, I believe that he's still in God's hand. I believe that God, that, that Cain is, is a sheep that's living like a goat. Remember my sermon from the other week. And I believe that God's going to call him back and he's going to welcome him back. And eventually Cain's going to realize that his worldview doesn't work. It falls apart. And he's going to see and know the truth. And it's going to set him free. You see, when we allow Jesus to define who God is, we can commit to this cause. Because when you read the Gospels, and you, and you look at how Jesus interacted with people and how he loved people and the compassion and, and the truth and the justice that he displayed, it is so, it's crystal clear that he was God in the flesh. We know what God is like through the life of Jesus. It's not just an idea, it's a reality. It's not just a philosophy, it's a person. The third truth that I see in this passage is that Jesus, or through Jesus, we find our identity. One of the most important questions you can ask is, who am I? The way that you answer that question will determine how you live and who you live for. In this text, we learn who we are. Verse 6, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. We are God's. We're his beloved. We're his. That's awesome. You're God's. You're his. He loves you. You're his children. I've been wrestling with this concept of who am I over the last couple of months. And I put together a list of what the Bible says, of what Jesus says, or how he answers this question, who am I? I'm going to read this to you. 
Who am I? I'm accepted. John 15, 15. As a disciple, I'm a friend of Jesus Christ. I'm secure. Romans 8, 31 to 39. I am free from any condemnation brought against me, and I cannot be separated from the love of God. I am significant. Ephesians 2, 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'm a child of God. God is spiritually my father, Galatians 3.26. I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away and all things have become new, 2 Corinthians 5. I'm in Christ, Galatians 3.27. I'm an heir with the father and a joint heir with Christ, Galatians 4.6-7. I'm reconciled to God and an ambassador of reconciliation for him, 2 Corinthians 5. I'm a saint. Ephesians 1. I'm a citizen of heaven. Ephesians 2. I'm a member of Christ's body. 1 Corinthians 12. I'm united to the Lord and am one spirit with him. 1 Corinthians 6. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3. I'm a friend of Christ. John 15. I'm a slave of righteousness. Romans 6. I am the righteousness of God in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5. I am chosen and ordained by Christ to bear fruit, John 15. I am righteous and holy, Ephesians 4. I am hidden with Christ in God, Colossians 3. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world, Matthew 5. I am part of the true vine, John 15. I am filled with the divine nature of Christ and escape the corruption that is in the world, 2 Peter 1. I am chosen of God, holy and dearly beloved. I'm a child of the light. I share in the heavenly calling. I am more than a conqueror. I am a partaker with Christ and share in his life. I am of God's living stones being built up in Christ as a spiritual house. I'm a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I'm the devil's enemy. I am born again by the Spirit of God. I'm only traveling through this world. I'm a child of God who is always triumphant who always triumphs in Christ and releases his fragrance in every place. I am seated in the heavenly places. I am saved by grace. I am a recipient of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You see, when we allow Christ to define who we are, to define our reality, it it secures and firms us up so that we can now go out and live for him that we're not looking for the world to define who we are. Because there's so many voices in the world who are trying to tell us who we are and who we should be. But God supplies the truth of who we are. And when, when we have that settled, when we have that firmed up in our heart, then we can empty ourselves. Affirmation comes from him. He settles who we are. And when that is secure then we can pick up our cross and follow him. And we can live for his cause rather than our own cause. And that's powerful. And that's how the the Coptic Christians were able to, to go out and live the way they did. Because they allowed Jesus to define who they are. They looked to Jesus to define who God is. They knew that there was much more than this life. And in the fourth reality 
the fourth thing that Jesus reveals to us, the fourth truth, is this. That we, that we can have assurance that there is a place in heaven for us. We can have assurance that we're going to heaven. Not only do we know that there's life after this, we can know that we're going there. And that settles everything. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because he knew where he was going. He knew that it was by grace through faith that he was saved. And he understood this as we read in this prayer, that Jesus is interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. That he is seated at the right hand of the Father and he's praying for us. He's praying for each one of you right now in the presence of the Father so that you will not, in the face of persecution, fall away, so that you will persevere. He prays for you. That's powerful. He's praying that the Father will keep us. Hebrews 7.25 says this, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Another translation says he is able to save to the uttermost. We can bank on it. We can rest assured that we know where we're going. This week, we lost a loved one in our church body. We lost Janine Allen, who's a a dear, wonderful, committed follower of Christ. She lived this thing out. She lived a life committed to the cause. And on Thursday at, at her memorial service, Pastor Mark gave her a eulogy, and he shared how she devoted her life to caring and loving her family. And one of her primary concerns was that the people around her knew who Jesus was, that they had a relationship with Jesus. And for the last year, she's been, she's been ill. She's been, and they, haven't been able to di- they hadn't been able to diagnose. And within the last couple of weeks, they diagnosed um, what was going on, and she knew that her time was short. And in that window of time, she could have doubted. She, she could have been frustrated, but she didn't because she knew who she was in Christ. She knew who God is through Christ. She knew that there was more to life than just this, and she knew where she was going, and it was secure because Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father and is interceding. So in that last window of time, she was able to stand firm. And, and she was still concerned that her family members, that they would all would know Jesus. You know what that is? That is sprinting through the finish line. That's what that is. Now, I don't know about you, but that's how I want to live. And that's how I want to enter into heaven. I want to, I want you to see me going, you know, like five-minute mile, baby. <laughs> Woo! Right? Come on now. I want to live my life committed to the cause. 
empowered by the Holy Spirit, knowing the truth through God's word, who God is, who I am, that there's more than this, willing to pick up my cross and follow him. And he's calling all of us to do that, to live that way. And when we see a person live a life like that, it is the most beautiful thing. It is gorgeous. It is such a testimony to God's goodness and God's faithfulness and his ability to keep and hold on to those whom he loves. And he, we can all have that. We can all live a life committed to the cause. And at the beginning, I talked about, when I was talking about ISIS, that, you know what? That might become a reality here. We might face that kind of persecution here. And if we do, what are we going to be standing on? The truth of God or the lies of the enemy and the attacks of the enemy? We have the truth. The truth sets us free. The truth establishes who we are. We can bank on this. We can build a life upon this. You can build a legacy upon this. But we have to allow Jesus to define what is true rather than circumstance. We have to trust that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that we cannot craft a better life than picking up our cross and following him. Living a life committed to the cause. That's the call. That's what he's calling us to do. And I'm in. You in? Amen. Let me pray. Father, God, I know that there are many of us who struggle in this, that that maybe haven't lived a life committed to this cause. And I'm so thankful that Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for us, that our brokenness doesn't disqualify us from the cause. That if we've lived this life outside of his will, going our own way, God's mercies are new every morning. And we can decide today, that we can decide now, that we're going to live this life committed to the cause. And if we mess up tonight or tomorrow, we still have somebody, we have Jesus interceding for us on behalf of us before the Father. So Lord, I just pray that you would give us the grace and the strength to commit our lives to this cause. God, that we would no longer allow circumstance or fear or doubt or anxiety or other people define the way that we live. I pray that we look to Jesus to define reality to define what is actually true. To lay the path before us that we might walk in it. So God, I I just pray if there's anyone here who has never committed to the cause, who has never decided to lay down their own ways and walk in his ways, God, that you would pour out your spirit on them. 
God, that you would give them a new heart. God, that you would breathe new life into them. That you would give them the grace and the strength to live committed to this cause. God, that you would surround them by a family of brothers and sisters. God, that we'd be able to come around them and love on them and teach them and guide them. God, that together as a community, God, that we would commit to the cause of making Jesus known to the world. That we as a community in the face of persecution would stand strong knowing that is Jesus who defines who we are, knowing that our kingdom of not, is not of this world, that we are just passing through. But you have an important task for us while we're here. So I pray that we would devote ourselves one to another to carrying out this mission. God, I thank you and I praise you for the grace and the mercy that you show us. I thank you that you've called us to this task. I thank you that there's so much more than this life, that we can have hope, that anchors our soul, that when our last breath escapes us, we'll be with you. And we can, we can bank on that. God, we love you. We want to live for you. God, and we're sorry if we've lived any other way. Consecrate us. Set us apart for this mission. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about Grace Capital Church or how to get a copy of this broadcast, please visit us online at gccnh.com.